Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. And today we have a special guest coming in from the Bay Area of California. This gentleman has been in the tech industry for 13 years and then jumped and transitioned. He was in the operational side of tech and really transitioned into doing fix and flips and the operational side of that, which has been awesome. But the last five years has been really growing into the private investment group firms that they're taking down big syndications they're taking down storage units and many other you know random investments in between to get a awesome return back for obviously the group as a whole but also for investors that are partnering alongside with them so with that being said i believe it's been 37 plus deals or so at this point that you've been taking down over the years and yeah just really blessed and excited to have you on here so how are you today spencer oh man i'm doing great this is a wonderful way to start the day i was telling you ahead of time before we hit record brandon that uh talking to someone on the west coast they're kind of in the same at least time zone wavelength so i've been sipping my coffee and the kids are dropped off at school this is a beautiful way to start the day so thank you for having me yeah of course man we're blessed to have you so anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, what you're up to, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view of what we can anticipate? Yeah. So for some, a little bit more color on me and where I'm at in my background and what we do, thank you for teeing it up so nicely, Brandon. I lead Madison Investing. It's a private investing group. And frankly, it's something that I never would have thought myself waking up every day and excited to work on and help other people achieve what we've achieved ourselves. Prior to that, Spent 13 years at five different fintech companies, you know, a couple of which were, you know, quote unquote unicorns, you know, started my career into it. You know, everyone knows them for QuickBooks and TurboTax and then a series of smaller, smaller, earlier stage startups. And what I learned throughout all that is, oh, my gosh, you can learn how to make great decisions quickly, but it takes a lot more work to go and build a great framework. So we apply those same learnings and frameworks, decisioning frameworks and judgment to the way we find people we want to invest our own money in, you know, and, and that's really what we do here is we put our own capital to work for our own family wealth, which is tied into how do we vet private real estate firms and sponsors that are out there that are doing these big apartment multifamily deals and self-storage deals. Those are kind of the swim lanes that I stick with in because I consider myself expert level on both of those. One quick aside I'll say is like, man, going back into the W2 world, as much as the real estate investing community kind of likes to rip on the W2 world mercilessly because they, you know, they think it's not where it's at. I look back very positively on much of that career. And of course, there was times of awful, brutal stress, you know, working at an A series company comes along with 80 hours in office a week, 100 hours in some cases, not seeing my infant son at the time. We have two kids now, but at the time, not seeing him for two weeks because I was going in and it was dark outside in the morning and coming home at late at night when it was dark outside as well. So all that context said, I did grow up in a real estate household. You know, my dad was a broker for 30 years and I won't go TMI on here and give my whole life story, but I do think it's relevant as well, Brandon, because never in my life was I interested in finance, 
right? I used to play in punk rock and metal bands that hence all the tattoos and stuff. And, you know, I was a kid that basically thought that business was not that exciting. I mean, here we are now fully through that career where we went through all these logical stages, stumbling our way through how to become more financially well-footed. And now relying on a salary is not the way that I would say is a way to de-risk your life. You know, watch my dad and his business kind of implode after we went through a dark decade of losing my brother and a bunch of folks in our family. And that taught me the lesson now, how do we build more income streams for our own family? In the awful event that I, you know, get hit by a bus or something else happens, God forbid, how do we help ourselves get to that point? And now we help every other people that join our group and want to invest in these bigger, bigger deals with us to get the same kind of security and prosperity in their life, you know? So it's just a pleasure, but that was probably more than you wanted just to kick it off. No, no, I love it. I mean, at the end of the day, you mentioned a couple of good things right there. And you know, why real estate is what I was going to ask, but you, you just answered it. I mean, it's for generational and financial freedom. You know, it really starts off with making sure that your family is taken care of. And then after you put on your mask first, like the plain analogy, then you can really start helping out more people within your group to be able to do exactly the same. And the power of real estate can be so transformational and it can really set you up for so much success. It is funny how you mentioned that you know the real estate industry as a whole, investors, they like to dog on people for, or at least the stigma out there is they dog on people that have the W-2s, right? And I completely agree with you. You know, I personally love doing the birth strategy. I think it's a, a great strategy for anybody to really start off with or any investor in general. And without my W-2 in the beginning, when I first started, it's like I wouldn't have been able to do my cash out refinance. I wouldn't have qualified. Right. So, you know, you can transition out of things over time and get into things that you're more passionate about. But, you know, hanging on to the W 2 for now to be able to hit your goals, or even if you love your job, then there's no need to quit. You know, it's like if you're passionate, you get excited about it. It's all about the financial freedom over time, though, and positioning yourself so you can be with, you know, family and friends and, and have that flexibility. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, I, I think every person's journey in the working world is different, of course, on the bosses you have and you know, the ones you like and learn from, but also the ones you learn from what you don't want. I definitely have some of those. I think if you look at the timing when I finally pulled the ripcord, yeah. as it were, to go full-time into leading Madison Investing and just being a full-time investor, that was five months before COVID. That was like mm-hmm. around October, 2019. So, hey, great timing, right? But that wasn't suddenly a fly-by-night decision by any means. I mean, we, you know, Jennifer Morimoto is my wife and actually our co-founder and COO for the company. And we have a lean distributed team, but Jennifer is the other leader here. And that decision that we were making, she had her own career. She built for 13 years separate from mine. I had my career. I phased into going full-time and it was a, it was a labor of love, you know, and just wanted to double down on that point that you're making, which is when folks say, oh my God, the grass looks so much greener. I want to be a full-time investor. I could spend the whole podcast just on this topic about how sure. folks jump the gun and straight into asset class choice, straight into strategy choice before they even ask the question, do they like working on this stuff? Mm-hmm. And do they have a financial footing? I had to replace, my goal was 70% of my income monthly yeah. before I hit that trigger and was ready to go and do this thing full-time. So there's so many directions people can take it. Yeah, that's so good. 
Yeah, for me, I had to get out of the rat race or whatever you would call it of making sure that all my expenses on a monthly basis, they were taken care of from real estate, from passive you know, real estate before I felt comfortable. And I wasn't working in like a big career. I was, I was working you know, in restaurants that I wasn't happy and content with, but I knew that I had goals and it gave me motivation. The more that I you know, dreaded going into work, the more I knew after I clock out, I need to get to work and get this real estate stuff going. So it's awesome. Just depends on everybody's situation is different. So uh, focus on your goals and then backtrack. I love that. So what does the day-to-day look like for you? Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you asking that question. I don't really talk about that with folks very often. So I mean, really, the joy that I get from doing this comes down to interacting with fellow investors that are LPs. And so I don't want to throw jargon at folks. What this is, is, you know, we did start our journey and I'll come back to this in a moment with investing in small local rentals. We even then bought a bunch of rentals out of state from California, long distance style. That was kind of phase one, phase two. So I'm jumping straight into phase three. And and what we do now is other LPs or limited partners, those are passive investors in these syndication deals, multifamily and storage syndication deals. And folks will find us, You know, we don't pay for advertising. We just haven't done that as part of our business model. We really are thriving because of, frankly, referrals from other happy investors. So folks might find us- Damn good job. So it's pretty easy to you know get the word out. Yeah. yeah I mean, we're, just, we're very grateful and for, for all that and for people's advocacy for them having a good time, but also just prospering along with us. And they reach out to us and they might say, Spence, like we're trying to figure out our strategy and each profile is so different, right? Mm-hmm. I think that if I had to step way back and just abstract it out to make it relatable for folks, like Profile one, the most common, very similar to myself and Jennifer before we went out of our prior careers. You've got a dual income household, maybe two software engineers at at Facebook. We have a lot of folks in technology, as you can imagine, who worked at big tech, but across the whole country, different careers, maybe a pharmaceutical salesperson, maybe a person that works in project management, dual income household. They want to pivot out of those careers or at minimum have more swagger walking into the office because they've got six to 12 to 20 income streams that they've built up and they're not little dividends from the stock, they're meaty distributions coming out of these syndication investments. And so I'm talking to these folks about this as they find our group, we want to set some goals around it. And then uh, we're basically vetting the who, which is the most important part of all this is like, that's why we put our money in. And that's why I fly out and meet them in person and walk their assets in Texas and, you know, Arizona and Idaho, et cetera, all the way out to Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina and beyond. We're vetting these teams and we're vetting their deals. And then about half a dozen times a year, we're sending these deals out to folks and I'm just providing educational material to them if they decide they want to join us in it, you know? And it's it's invigorating, I think also because it's just remarkable to me that there's an awareness of these strategies. I mean, same for the birth strategy, to your point from earlier, Brandon. I mean, folks just don't have an awareness out there because none of us were given a, like a manual. No one learns about this in school. People don't walk around and say, Hey, yeah, in addition to dropping money into my 401k and getting the company match, I'm also going to go do a bird project on the side, or I'm also going to you know, allocate $100,000 to drop into that syndication later this year. We're all taught to go dump money into, re- into retirement, but we're not necessarily educated on that. So that is just a joy for me is to help folks understand like how to get into ones that they can feel good about for that are risk mitigated, risk adjusted. You know, And can people go find one of these that doesn't work out? Of course they can. You know, and, and we're always very upfront about that. Yeah. And, and that's also why it puts people at ease that I'm actually registered with FINRA um, in the SEC. That's the same kind of stuff that 
banks are held to in, to in terms of you know transparency and rigor and all those things. So that's my day to day. And of course, connecting with new sponsors. You know, we, we don't jump into deals with strangers. So yeah. typically when a person who's finding the deals, they reach out and they say, we would love to feature our new deal. You know, we found this, this amazing property. We want to go do a value-add plan on this 200-unit apartment building out in the Midwest or the South or the Southeast. Can you show this to your investors and you know, bring their capital and help us with investor relations, infrastructure and stuff. And I tell them, it's not, the answer is not no. The answer is just not yet, you know? Yeah. And so let's, let's go figure out how we can potentially do this in the future. I love it. So overall, a majority of the day is really being focused on raising capital as well as, you know, investor relations, as well as some acquisition side of venting out some opportunities for the group as a whole. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and also I think just operationally, now that we have kind of a lean team that supports us in different parts of the country, you know, for compliance and operations, et cetera. Of course, I didn't leave behind all the management stuff that I had and cherished in my career prior, you know, like yeah. at the age of 26, for example, I was leading teams of 200 plus people. And I loved that, but man, oh man, people management is not a simple thing. It's, it's no. taxing and rewarding, but yeah, some of my day also, of course, goes towards that and vetting deals, you know, just, just looking at the numbers. Because I'm a very big operations nerd, I would say I love these asset classes because of their ability to be better predicted. And boring is a great thing. I love the best kind of boring. You know, if I can see on a see on paper, and you can dial this in on Burr all day for a Burr strategy, of course. How is this going to play out when it comes to the financial assumptions? Because the big de-risking of this stuff happens at the who, but on the deal level, it happens in terms of those financial assumptions going in. So yeah. that's really what populates my day is you nailed it. Investor relations, helping people clarify what their goals are, right-sizing for if a deal does or doesn't make sense, and then vetting deals and markets, you know, looking at the job supply and looking at the demographics in a given market, because we don't invest in our own backyard, unfortunately. You know, the only property we still own that's an investment here in, Cal here in California is a duplex. And it's in Vallejo, California, about 45 minutes north of me. I spent $430,000 on that years ago and it cash flows 200 bucks a month. And that is not what you call a, yeah. <laughs> a cash flow home run. That's one of those things that could, like, I, I wouldn't say label it the boring that you were just talking about, but safe and slow and steady will win the race with that. You know, the cool part about California is appreciation always does well. Um, yes, we, we own properties out here as well. And really to make the numbers work, to make it a little bit more exciting is doing short-term rentals, right? Like Airbnb or, or just getting, getting more income coming in because the numbers are so high. But the blessing behind it is if you can hang on to these and have somebody else paying down your mortgage, then you know over time it is going to be such a blessing with the equity that you can build into it and you know appreciation is always like icing on the cake you should never bet on it but but boy oh boy it does treat you well in the future uh, which yeah is very nice i um, mean if, okay can i add one thing to that please, yeah okay. i think for folks in reference like i'm sure you talk to folks in your network in california on the coast all the time and i mean probably back in the hometown on the other coast as well, because these coastal markets have a lot in common when it comes to remarkably high price points. And so here, we kind of went through these three phases. And I, and I think these three phases are so natural that they hit the majority of people. And we, we happen to live in the Bay Area, I sit in this little island city called Alameda, directly across from Oakland and San Francisco. And once we bought that first duplex, Brandon, and we realized, wow, that took like a whole summer, literally sitting in the car, driving around these local markets with Jennifer 
our infant son in the car. This was how we spent our free time, our weekends. We were so nerdy about it to get that one darn rental. And once we bought it, it clicks for us. We need to get clearer on our goals. So then we set a very crystal clear number over the course of a very intense goal setting weekend, not to go into a therapy session, couples therapy style, but this is the stuff that really matters that people try to skip over because they think they can get away with it. And it's, we had to pick a number. What is the monthly income number from passive and active sources that's going to get us to where we got to go? So that 200 bucks a month for a 430K rental in California ain't going to fly. We need to spend our money more wisely because that was over a hundred thousand dollars cash outlay for 200 bucks a month in cash flow. Yeah. And, you know, we, so then we look further, get comfortable with long distance. We, well, you, you want to you compare it, you know, when it comes down to, okay, the money, the time, the energy that we put into this deal out here for the return on this of, of $200, you know, a month, you know, and yes, of course, the appreciation could over time, but let's look at the grand scheme of things. And then in comparison to somewhere possibly in the Midwest or any other state for that matter, uh, right. that, can, that can, you know, same apples for apples, down payment and time and energy invested. That could potentially pull off higher ROI on uh, bang for your buck for your money, you know. Um, and that's the thing that you know is very—it's important to be crystal clear on it. And when you're first getting started, or even I mean, throughout the process, it's, it's kind of making that time that it takes to really be able to have those team meetings quarterly or however often that you need to to make sure that hey, are we on track with our goals, or are we starting to get off track from? God knows what, with all the distractions that we're getting hit on a daily basis. So there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about. I think a lot of the listeners could potentially benefit from us talking a little bit more on getting clear on those goals. You know, I know many people only talk about it in the very beginning of the year, right? It's a great topic in the beginning of the year, goal setting. But we just, you know, just last month, we were halfway through the year. We're more than that at this point, And we only got a few months left of the year. I think it's very important to get very laser beam focused back into you know, how are we going to finish the rest of this year strong to be able to hit our goals in 2022 and to be able to set us up for success or financial freedom. So if you have any feedback or thoughts on that, also would love to hear more about managing so many people. I mean, at such a young age, you were able to get promoted to a position where you're managing 200 plus members. That's a lot of people, my friend. So (laughs) it takes a lot of power in so many different areas. So I'm sure everybody could benefit from how to lead people better. So yeah, whatever you want to chat about first. Yeah, happy to go. I mean, really refreshing to go there. I think it's fun to talk about. You know, first and foremost on the goal setting, I looked back at like, what does financial goal setting mean to me when I was in my younger life? Younger for me, I'm 39 now, you know, but if like in my early 20s, let's say fresh out of college or going through my the first phases of my career, sure. at least I had enough awareness to go and say, okay, let's look at that pie chart for retirement account, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that you get from your custodian or your job. You know, they say, have an aggressive portfolio if you're younger and then dial it back over time, yada, yada. All of that never really clicked for me as that relevant. Did I dump money for years into my 401k? Absolutely. And I would like celebrate it with a badge of honor, right? But what really clicks with me is simple strategies, you know, like like really tangible stuff. And that's why Jennifer and I sat there two whole weekends. We had the kids had to go to a sitter just to focus on this. They were this weekend was intense. And I'm, I'm sharing this kind of behind the scenes stuff as messy as it sounds, because 
if someone is single, this is going to be more straightforward. But if they if they have a significant other, which many people do, this is how intense it gets when it matters. And like we had laughter, you know, prize, yeah, reconciliation, multiple cycles over just to get to that one damn number. Yes. What is our number to cover our life needs and not feel like we have to be completely bootstrapped? Like, I mean, to the point where I can't buy my cup of coffee because I'm not going to give up my coffee. And, you know, like. That sounds like Jennifer, my Jennifer. I I know you have a Jennifer as well, but uh, yeah, she cannot give up her coffee. And it's not a negotiable type of thing that she puts on the table. (laughs) Absolutely not. You know, like like Jennifer and I both like our cup of coffee, right? And, And so. That one number is what I encourage folks to go and and dial in very clearly. And because that's going to it's nice and simple. And so you put that out there. We had our number and then we're going to start whittling away at that with active and passive income. We set a goal of 15 years out from that time. And that sounds ridiculously far out. But why did we do that? That was because I thought about a former mentor of mine and what he told me for goal setting. And he said, if you set a goal that's too aggressive, too fast, it gives you the ultimate cop-out excuse to say, there's no way I can hit this thing in time. Mm. But, but if you put it far enough out, remove the time excuse completely, and then sit there and ask yourself, well, why can't I go do this? You know, And you're challenged by saying, how do I go get there now? How do I go make this happen within 15 years? That was too long for us. After a week or so, we were like, we got we to chop this down to seven. And so we're basically already there now, which we're very pleased about, but that clarity was important. And That's I sort good. of put in on the goal setting first. I love it. That's so good. So I was going to say 15 years is a, is a good amount of time, but but it's awesome that after, you know, quickly after you guys realize, hey, we could probably scale this back to seven years. You know, many people over, I forget the saying behind it, but I'm just going to butcher it. You know, a lot of people, they set their goals and think that they can do so much in such a, a short period of time. Um, and then it's a daunting feeling when you don't hit those. And then for their long, you know, 20 year goals, they don't put enough emphasis on how much you can be able to really take down and, and be able to hit goals. So I've had buddies of mine and friends that have done crazy things in, in such a short time frame in, in a year, but that's not what I would say is the average, right? So you got the exception, but you know, what is going to be realistic numbers that you can really be focused on, laser beam focus, and kind of just backtrack. Hey, if I want to hit this in seven years. What do I need to do on a yearly basis? What do I need to do on a quarter basis, a monthly basis, a weekly basis, a daily basis that can really set me up for success to be able to hit these goals? So I love that. Just like you're mentioning, if you do have a family, if you're a single person and you're you're just thinking about your situation for the time being, it may be easier. But regardless, if you have a family, you got to put all distractions to the side, be intimate with your significant other and really you know, plan that full day out for the good times, the bad times, the arguments and everything in between to to make sure that you guys are on the same track and know exactly what you want. So you guys are on the same path of where you guys are heading because there's nothing more frustrating if you don't have those meetings and you guys both think you're on track, but you're going in two different directions and that's not going to unite any anything in the family. Yeah. Um, so I, I appreciate your feedback on that. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, that visual that you did, I know maybe folks on the audio only can't hear it, but like, I think you articulated a point just even with the hand gestures. And I think it's important as well is like the first, think about if a week out from setting goals, you know, Jennifer and I are not aligned as much as we thought we were. Imagine if you just let that unspoken topic linger for a period of two to three to four, five, six months. It's, it's like it's like a line graph, right? It's just going to yeah. keep splitting over time. So by the time you finally check in, you guys are on different planets. 
And yeah. that is just such a compelling way to think of I'm a very visual guy. Yeah. So I think early candor and having those discussions is key. But I do want to hit on the topic that's so incredibly near and dear to my heart, which is like the leadership and the management stuff, you know, and, and I think shifting over to that, never in my life did I think I or did. I didn't really want to be a Man. Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't want to be a manager of people or a leader. And now, you know, I've, I've devoured more leadership books and managed more people well, than I can probably count. <laughs> what's funny behind that is all good leaders, in my personal opinion, that I've noticed, they don't typically want that position at first. And the people that want those positions typically won't be the best leaders. Right. Uh, and that's just my two cents. That's, that's my my uh, humble opinion behind it that I've seen over time. But that is so good, you know, and, and you getting to a point at such a young age to be able to manage 200 plus people. I mean, that's incredible. So, yeah, talk to us uh, about the process behind that. Yeah. I mean, frankly, it's going to sound more straightforward when I break it down the following way. Not glamorous whatsoever. And, yeah. it's, and it's your point, it's like making a couple of decisions that were pivotal. Like I know the exact couple of decisions that made the difference to get there. And then of course, there's always a smidgen of luck and everyone's at a different starting point, not delusional yeah. about that, right? But fresh out of college, I somehow got myself and found the courage to go take a sales gig, an inside sales gig. I'm an introvert. I, I don't go out and seek to go and network like a madman. I can have these discussions. I cherish one-to-one -one discussions sure. like with you, Brandon, yeah. but put me in a networking scenario and I need to take breaks. Yeah. So, you know, I do a sales gig for a year and a half. I think I'm some pretty hot shit. Sorry. And then I end up going and having like an eat, pray, love moment traveling the world because I never got that in. And then ultimately, I realize I have this moment of clarity sitting on a beach in Croatia. This is like 2007 or something. And I'm like, you know what? I think I got to get my stuff together. I'm ready to be more serious. And, and so I reach out to a former boss and, you know, he and I really connected He's actually younger than me. We're very good friends. We talk daily now. He's like a mentor. And at the time I said, would you please take me back? I'm ready to be more serious this time. And they were launching a new location out of state. And they said, you can come. It was a really hard interview because they knew that I was like kind of doing the boomerang thing. And I had to go and get paid. I think it was at the time like 14 bucks an hour and, you know, and which, which is a perfectly respectable amount of money for a person who's entry level. And, but it was, in a call center at the time, you yeah. know, and, and it was like, go do a support job in a new state where you don't have any familiarity at the time and you know, network and, and you're going to go out and do this and you're going to move on your own dime. And mm -hmm. if you do that, you'll have a shot at leadership. And so I did that, said, yes, I have never been so focused in my life at that moment as I was at that moment, you know, devouring leadership books and hustling extraordinarily hard and then working my way up to eventually run the whole facility for like, or over the course of five years, you know? And so yeah. that was way more responsibility than I was ready for at the time when I got it. And I was so in and over my skis, but that's how you really learn is when you get thrust into the fire, right? And so then I ended up taking progressively more challenging jobs at earlier stage companies. Even at a later time, I ended up, there's one other decision I had highlight where uh, I was offered a chance to go join like a super high velocity startup was surrounded by people way smarter than me like just across the board, just incredibly high horsepower, brilliant people. And I would have to take like a 40% cash compensation cut, but I would learn faster than I've ever learned. And I took that cut and I took that job. And that in hindsight was one of the best decisions I ever could have made. That was the hardest year I've ever had at that job. Um, sure. it, it was like 
crushingly hard work and 80 to 100 hours a week. But that's the kind of stuff that ultimately gives you the skills and experience to show up better over time. But yeah, I never wanted any of that leadership stuff. It just ended up being that, I, you know, I don't care about power, really. Uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, and more, it's some people do, that's fine. Uh, I don't judge them for that. It's just not really interesting to me. Um, yes. But I do try to help other people and succeed in whatever that means for them. So for sure. No, I love that. I mean, it's funny because you might be able to like crush it at whatever you're doing within the business. And then once you get to a position where, okay, well, now they want you to lead other people to crush it as well. It's a whole different learning curve. And for a quick story, you know, I was doing door to door sales back in like 2011 for Kirby vacuum cleaner. And I was very good at it. I got to a point where I was very good and I was making great money, like 2,500 a day by selling several vacuum cleaners through the day. And I was knocking my whole team into doors so they could do their appointments. And they got to a point where they wanted me to lead a team, a van of six to 10 people. And my numbers just started shrinking so much because I was spending time and energy of leading others instead of, you know, focusing on what I knew how to do best. And it was a pay cut, you know, it was a pay cut in multiple ways, because if they all performed, then I would get paid more. But the time and energy and nobody performing, it was a tough year, I'd say, because I had to become and learn how to be a good leader. And, and I wasn't at the time by any means. And every day I'm learning. But I think it's, it's one of those things that just like you did, you took almost an investment on yourself. You took the risk of taking the pay cut putting in the extra time, the energy, the hours, being around just gangsters in your industry that are way smarter, way, way more talented so that you can learn from. And after that year of torture, it really builds that foundation even stronger for you to be able to crush it in many other areas and develop that leadership skill. So I commend you for doing that. It's one of those things that the majority of others out there in the world, they hear all the downsides to it and, and like, they write it down on a piece of paper, pros and cons, and they're like, oh, hell no. You know, I'm not right. doing this. I'm not, I'm not doing any of this. It sounds horrible. But it's that risk factor that you're putting on yourself, like an investment into yourself to be able to, you know, catapult it and skip so much years of pain and suffering and, and actually get somewhere. So I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story as well. I mean, door to door, anyone who who hasn't seen that in action, I mean, I can't ever say I was always an insight guy, but I've seen people on uh, making the walks and it's like, that is so intensive that leading a team there and doing that well is very, is it's incredibly impressive to me. So that, I mean, that is, uh, that's really badass, Brandon. And so I, I think in terms of the, you know, the sacrifice made by ignoring more money for the sake of more money, you know, not to say it doesn't have incredible value, of course, it but does, like, yeah. you know, in, investing in oneself is exactly how I categorize that decision point that you are kind of right sure. back to me that way. And I, I think self-awareness is the root of, of all of it. You know, like a person sitting there and I had to sit there and ask myself this, like, am I ready to be outside of my comfort zone at this job literally every moment of every single day for the next forever until this job is over? And yeah. I decided, you know, that was a yes for me at that time. Some days I came home and I was like, that was a really awful day. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was a bad decision saying yes back then. But you know, you take it day at a, a day at a time and uh one problem at a time and, and over time it makes you a better individual and a better leader in so many other areas. Yeah, you become more you become not just tougher, but you become wiser and you also understand yourself better. But 
I love talking philosophically about leadership stuff all day. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah, more resilient for sure. I wanted to talk to you about the market changes and so forth right now. And if you guys are adapting, nobody's got that crystal ball, right? But but damn, I would say in the last month and a half, two months, the market has switched up a bit. Mm-hmm. And I believe believe today is that lucky day that I believe they're going to be announcing whether or not we're in a recession or not, which I'm sure we all know the answer. But We've seen it on some of our fix and flip projects. We've seen there's a lot of fear in the market, I would say, to sum it all up. You know, stock market crashing several times, the crypto doing the same thing, the interest rates going up, the inflation, the the news and everything else kind of just promoting. It's almost a, a good shit storm, for lack of better words, that's really turning. And the last couple of years, just printing the government, printing so much money that somebody's got to pay for it. What's your two cents on this? Like, what what is your feedback on where you think we're heading and how are you guys positioning yourself moving forward? Would love your opinion. Oh, happy to talk about this. I'll, I'll take a step back before we go into this and just simply say it is so much more, dare I say, fun going into this moment of volatility when I have literally, literally been living and breathing, similar to you, like living and breathing everything about investing from reading you know economy reports reading finance reports doing you know thousands and thousands and thousands of units of transactions and investing our own money across all these different asset classes for the past you know aggressively for the past five years now and that goes for take that further back to even living and you know working within a real estate uh, business when starting at the age of six right so i wasn't exactly paying attention to reading finance reports then but Compare that to like 2008 when I was just purely in the corporate world. It's kind of like this, the average lay person out there, most people, they're sitting there going, oh, we enter bad time. Bad time mean me better put money under bed mattress, right? And that is such a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. That's good. And and I think that coming into it now, if if you ever, if anyone out there interacts with a, a very focused, you know, real estate investor right now, the one who's worth their salt will probably have the following reaction. They're going to say, oh, this is getting exciting. Oh, yeah. And the, the, the reason you and I know that is because this means this opens up and unlocks buying opportunities that you wouldn't yeah. find otherwise. And so at a high level, my interpretation of what, what is occurring now is the, the real big change in the short term as far as effectively what is occurring is borrowing money just got more expensive and a lot more expensive. And, and as a result, there's less liquidity which is the very Wall Street way of simply saying there's less investable money floating around from all these different sources and, 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 and pipelines, right? And so for our business, we deliberately picked, and I'm in love with hard assets and the hard assets we focus on. I mean, doing Burr projects on small multi or, or large multi is the same, just different sizes. We yeah. focus on large multifamily and large storage facilities. And the reason I like large multifamily in particular is because it's needed. Yeah. You know, the, it's like the demand is here right now because of an underbuilding trend. The data is all there to back this up from the past decade. Building hasn't occurred at a pace that has kept up with the growth. So now in places such as Phoenix, Arizona, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, Greenville, South Carolina, like, like I can keep going on and on of these markets that we've invested in ourselves and we love. These are places where this wasn't the same conversation in 2008 and 2009. That was a totally different recession. And sure. every, is, 
at just a different animal altogether, including the trigger points for them. But now yeah, we feel great about it, frankly, because have we stopped investing? Absolutely not. Um, yeah. like, like, we're, like we're still actively, like we just had a really positive, strong response, for example, on some, on like a storage deal, you know, and, and one of the best responses I think we've ever had of folks investing alongside us in that deal. And so that's the kind of stuff that we like because people need places to live. Unfortunately, higher interest rates tends to correlate. It's not the same getting an interest rate increase by the Fed to get higher mortgage rates. They're different rates, you know, but the correlation is going to be that mortgages are going to be more expensive. And yeah. as a result, people can't buy houses as, as well as they could. Yeah, it's going to kind of wipe out certain individuals that were right on the edge there. I, I do want to encourage everybody to keep in mind that it's like, it has been the record lows world history of the lowest interest rates in the world for the last like five, six years. So it's just one of those things that I feel like a lot of people get entitled to. And yeah, I mean, when the interest rates at 5% right now or so forth, obviously it gets, it is more expensive than it was. And as it goes up, but don't be one of those people that's burying the money underneath the mattress because right now is the opportunity. And also it's going to get even better in many cases, but it's also like one of those things that the interest rates aren't, aren't necessarily going to get lower again, you know, and it could over time, nobody's got that crystal ball, but I would definitely encourage that if you think the interest rates are high now and that's that's keeping you out of the game or or you could qualify but you don't want to pay the taxes on it you know you don't want to pay the, that extra expensive money wait till it gets even higher right and, and then you're you're wishing oh shoot i wish i would have got in when it was five or six percent in comparison when it's eight or ten you yeah. know it's don't get entitled to that is what i'd say oh my gosh preach you know yeah. and I, I know that this is like an area that is literally one of your areas of deep expertise because you work on the credit side for sure and that said a stat that i just saw this was in the last week fascinating graph and this will track with some folks but if not i encourage them to go google it and, yeah. and look up some data but the, i believe in the first time in modern history that the interest rate i'm sorry the uh, inflation rate yeah the 9.1. So money, money is, is losing value. Your purchasing power of your dollar is losing its power at a rate faster than we've seen in recent history. And the real point is 9.1 inflation, it's higher than the current interest rates. And so uh, on mortgage mortgage rates. Yeah. And so if people think about that to exactly math. Yeah. Like, like I, I can borrow money. This money is going to cost me, you know, maybe 5% on this mortgage. But my money was dying sitting in a savings account at a rate that's probably close to nine percent anyways. And so dying. and that's that's the key point here. It's like it's dying. The hundred thousand that you had, and understand that the government will tell you one thing of nine percent. They were telling us uh, you know, six, seven, eight, now we're at nine. What do you really think it is though? Right. I mean, I, I imagine it to be uh, significantly higher in many cases, but let's just say it's it's what the government is telling us, right? At nine 9.1% uh, or whatever they're saying today. It's one of those things that your 100,000 just lost, you know, nine grand, 10 grand. So you want to you wanna be really mindful of, you don't want this money just being buried and waiting on that great opportunity. Put your money to work right now. And, and I encourage if you have any type of 
active income that's coming in, double or triple down on that to bring in more. And then as it's coming in, put it to work, like put it to work, buy assets, do value adds, and it will always take care of you in whatever season that we're going through. So that's my two cents on it. I appreciate your feedback and your opinion on it as well. It's just do the math, right? Just like you said, it's like, it's, it's a no brainer once you see how much they're claiming that we are losing on money versus these interest rates. You know, we, we still got room there. There's still a, there's still a, an arbitration to be had. Yeah. Talk to a boomer about what it was like in the eighties when they hit their 18% mortgage rate, right? Yes. And, and Thank like, you. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's, context is a beautiful thing. Um, yes. And so I think right now they call these rates outstanding. And so they are. And I think entitled is the perfect word for that, Brandon, when you said that earlier. you know. And, yeah. and last but not least, I just wanted to mention to folks, I haven't ever pitched anything since we've launched our business, right? And, but like, and I bring this up because I just want folks to hear these messages that we're discussing here and do something to better play offense. And that, that's kind of the term that we use in our household is financial offense is like, Good. it helped us wake up to the fact that to exactly your point, we used to just do the very traditional thing, dumb money in 401k, and that's still fine. I'm not actually anti-401k altogether. It's just, we don't do that first now. Um, yeah. But people need to find ways to take that dollar and instead of having it die in a checking account or a savings account, they need to go find a way to have it not only keep up, with that inflation, they got to find a way to exceed. Yeah, inflation. outperform it. Yeah. 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 And like wherever they happen to find it, I just want to give folks the extra nudge and spark. And I hope our discussion today does that for one person. And that, that's a win. Like go educate yourself and do something about it. Don't just complain about it. Go do something about it. And is that higher risk than an FDIC insured savings account? Well, yeah. And that's what the risk is rewarded with is like, mm-hmm. if you take the risk, it might go not well. That's why we, that's why I spend so much time for, for example, researching and discussing and finding competent people who are going to yeah. do these types of deals where it's risk adjusted. Right. And so it's professionals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, that's, there's professionals like yourself that have put in the time, the energy, the resources, the team in place to be able to hit successful numbers. In my personal humble opinion, bias opinion, real estate investing is going to be your safest asset class that can really keep an eye on things that you can be able to get transformational wealth, like really something that will change your life in a short period of time. In just a few years, you can see breakthroughs in your finances and and over your family as well by simply educating yourself and getting calculated risk, which in my opinion, you know, you're going to in other assets or starting businesses and so forth, you're taking higher risk or potential higher reward, but higher risk means, you know, it's not going to be those safe, those boring, you know, deals that you like, right? It's not going to be those deals that you can be slow and steady wins the race. And you know, this deal is going to perform with confidence and boldness as you go into purchasing it, right? So I think those are all great points. Spencer, I appreciate you so much for your time today. Any like last words that you want to leave or how can people actually get a hold of you as well? I, I would like to know last thoughts as well on like, where are you and the team going in the next few years? What, what kind of goals do you guys have? Anything that myself or, or the listeners could do to actually get back to you? Yeah. Well, thank you. And this has been clearly a really fun discussion. So thank you for nerding out on stuff that I love talking about here too. And hopefully it's 
helpful for the listeners. Oh, likewise, for sure. I know it is. I had a great time. So, yeah, um, me too. Uh, so if folks want to reach out and connect, always happy to do that. Uh, it's at madisoninvesting.com. Um, we do actually have a monthly newsletter. I think it's pretty robust and substantive. It's not fluff, but we also, folks can book a time for, you know, just like a goal setting session with me. That's a non-obligation thing. All I would ask is that they bring their normal self and, and be friendly. Um, you know, it's nice and it's not like an obligation or paid thing, but we can talk about the market and nerd out on real estate stuff, just like we did today. I think in terms of parting words, I would just say that anyone who thinks they don't have the time to go work on this stuff, go check out a book called Essentialism. It's one of a few, like one of two or three books out there that I've read it three times at this point. It's the first book I read where I was like, it gives me literal ways to learn how to say no to people in socially graceful ways. And that matters because all day people love to take their 24 hours and they spend that doing stuff that's really fun. Sure. I, do I like going to the bar? Of course. Do I like having coffee and lunches with people? Of course. Um, do I do those things? Of course. Do I like scrolling on my phone and all these other hours that I'm wasting away? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love doom scrolling, you know, do, <laughs> do doom scrolling when I'm not really thinking about it. You know, all these things are a way to spend time, but find ways to find. I found 10 hours a week when I was working full-time leading teams at a very demanding W-2 job while being a dad and a good, decent husband to do 10 hours a week. I woke up early. I set a schedule and a rigor. So just encourage folks to go out and like find the way to empower yourselves and take the control over your financial future, man. It's, it really is a choice. So uh, I think for most so people, good. it's a choice. That's so good. Yeah. And it comes down to how bad you want it. You know, anybody that's saying, well, I don't know where to look. I don't know how it's like, you know, start with my best friend, Google, you know, and then, and then work your way up, you know, check out podcasts like this, YouTube, um, you know, books, read, you know, educate yourself. And, and when there's a will, there's a way. So the more you care about it, just like you care about any other things that you're putting your time and energy into, you'll see yourself being more educated or, or going down that path. So it's easy to you know, just indulge in things that make us feel good for the time being, but isn't necessarily productive in the long run. But if you want change in your life, then I would encourage you to do something different from the day before or the day before that. And you'll see it, not instant success, like we all want nowadays, but you'll be able to see progress and you'll see it pay off faster than you would assume. Yeah, uh, in many cases, as long as you have realistic goals. But if you don't have your goals set up, then reach out to Spencer and set that up because that, that sounds like an awesome no-brainer in many cases. What's the goals that you guys have for this year? Anything that myself or the listeners could do to give back to you? I appreciate it as well. You just gave an hour of your time. So by all means, yeah, would love to give back to you. Well, I mean, I think that um, really our focus now kind of in the next kind of six to 12 months and is not that different even given the current volatility, because great investing is mostly about temperament. It's not even about intelligence. It's not about talent. It's about temperament and, and not succumbing to uh, the outside world. Paying attention, though, you know, yeah. like watching the tea, reading the tea leaves, reading the reports, being aware of the macro and micro events. And so our focus is going to be, and no shockers here, investing in assets and hard assets that are going to continue being needed. People need places to live. People need great communities to live in. They also need places to store their stuff when they go. I was going to say storage units. Yes, yeah. that's such a no-brainer. The numbers don't lie on that. 
Yeah, uh, you know, and that those are our areas of expertise and focus. And now we do occasional stuff that is niche and really compelling right now, I think more than ever, because it's not correlated directly to either of these asset classes, which is like this. We don't have time for this one in, in depth, but like we, I'm just investing again into an ATM fund, like automated teller machine fund, you know, so, so oh. it's like so that type of stuff is non-correlated. And so we're looking for more opportunities like that, where it's off from um, correlation to like the stock market. Yeah. I love that, man. That's awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate your time so much, guys. You are definitely going to want to reach out to Spencer and uh, just uh, amazing feedback. I know that I'll, I'll receive on this one. So uh, thank you so much for your time again. So check out madisoninvesting.com and uh, be able to book your call uh, today. So with that being said, appreciate you guys all so much for tuning in as always. If you haven't already, make sure that you hit that subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. That's Ready, Set, Go! REI Podcast. Hit that subscribe button. You'll get the newest notification every single Monday. And then after listening to this amazing episode or any others, do me that solid favor by leaving that five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate all the love and feedback. We have a big mission to be able to educate, motivate, and prepare you to be able to take action in real estate investing. And with that all being said, if you guys need any credit repair done for you services, go check out creditrepairmobile.com. Otherwise, if you are really looking to get educated on credit, like really understanding from beginning to the end of how the banks and lenders are judging you so you know how to play the game, how to be able to fix your own credit very quickly or friends, family, even create a business from it, and then be able to get massive funding from the banks, doing a mass apply and get several six figures, even seven figures in funding over the next 12 months, then uh, I highly encourage you to check out creditcounselelite.com. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. We show you how to be able to get educated, fix, build, and then be able to leverage these funds into real estate investing, private money, hard money, e-commerce, you name it, whatever goals you may have. We want to show you how to be able to scale that and be able to fund it with credit, just like the banks have been doing to us forever. Let's flip the script on the banks and be able to put it to work. But that being said, guys, love you guys all so much. Appreciate you as always. We will see you on the next episode. Spencer, I appreciate you greatly. What a blessing. You have an awesome day. Thank you, Brandon. It's been an absolute blast. See you guys. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliotinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.